Well, good morning, Sailorville. I invite you to take your Bibles for the standalone message before we begin a brand new series in the Thessalonian epistles next week. We're still in the Old Testament this week. 2 Kings chapter 18. 2 Kings chapter 18. As we talk today about unmasking, which is the key to revival. Henry Kissinger was the famous National Security Advisor, Secretary of State as well, for President Richard Nixon in the late 60s and early 70s. And he was famously quoted by the New York Times as saying, there cannot be a crisis this week. My schedule is already full. Of course, a crisis doesn't make a person. It only shows what a person is made of, right? And if you're wearing a mask, metaphorically speaking, there's nothing like a crisis to tear it off. And speaking of masks, masks that isn't back to that era of Watergate and Richard Nixon in the early 70s. If uh, you remember, that's what brought him down, the Watergate scandal, the tapes, the infamous tapes. And uh, when those tapes were released, Billy Graham, the late great evangelist Billy Graham, who was actually very close to Nixon, actually did his funeral, loved Richard Nixon, had spent lots of time with him. When Billy Graham heard those tapes and the torrent of vulgarity that came from the mouth of Richard Nixon in those tapes, he said this, never in all the times I was with him did he use language even close to that. Ah, the mask we wear. Just the other day, our staff had a, had a, um, a staff uh, meeting. We're, we were on Zoom. There were about 20-some of us. And Pastor Jason led the devotional. He asked the question, what kind of characters in the Bible wear masks? And it was interesting. I never chimed in. I let the others chime in. And, and they were giving all sorts of characters in the Bible that wore a mask in one way or another. In my own mind, I, I thought of a couple of individuals, or I thought of the people in in, uh, in Jude's epistle, Jude says, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation, but now I'm concerned that we, 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 we defend the faith because evil men have crept in unaware, wearing a mask. And I couldn't, I couldn't help but think of 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where we're told that Satan and his servants masquerade themselves as what? Angels of light, that's right. So masked and dangerous even. So there's a whole lot of masking going on, literally, during this COVID environment. Some are wearing masks to, with the hope of cur, you know, curtailing the spread of the virus. Figuratively speaking, some of you are wearing masks right now to cover up the real you. You got one on? Politically and socially, there's a lot of masking going on today. Would you agree? And just when you think, the last bastion, the last venue that's free of all masking, that a, that a flaming liberal and a conservative, uh, you know, uh, whatever, <laughs> can agree on the same team, boom. You watch the NBA here the other day, and up comes, uh, up comes this. So, so much for our last venue. By the way, speaking of mask and mask wearing, 
The Black Lives Matter movement might be one of the greatest masks ever invented. Do black lives matter? Well, what kind of a stupid question is that? Of course they do. But, and listen to my words. I'm carefully going to give you these words. But the movement has cleverly coined an expression that is patently true while masking a platform that is patently ungodly, unchristian, immoral, Marxist, and designed to deconstruct your family. And that's not me talking. You just got to read their website. It'll tell you all about it. Now, I understand what some of you are thinking. That, that's not the way I think when I say that. I understand that. And some of you are thinking, I wasn't aware of anything you just said. I understand that as well. And you're thinking, well, I don't want that. I get it. But if there is ever a call for discernment, it is now for the Christian. Look under the mask. We've got a presidential race in front of us. You got two men, one grossly immoral in his personal life, and the other grossly immoral in his political positions. The one will violate your sensitivities, the other will kill your babies. Christian, look under the mask. By the way, your sensitivities will live to see another day. Just saying. Pick your poison. Pick your poison, political, social, racial, medical, with the COVID. All are crises that are right in front of us right now. And, and the greatest victim of our culture, in my estimation, is debate. Debate politics, and you're either a heartless conservative or a socialist liberal. I guess we're done talking about that. Debate social or racial issues, and you're either a racist or you're an anarchist. I guess we can't discuss that one. De you know, debate the COVID-19 environment. And you're either a scaredy cat or a careless spreader of the, of, the, of the germ. In other words, there's no longer room for debate. Just a whole lot of yelling and rioting and lambasting opponents. The genuine Really, the death of genuine debate, in my estimation, is the greatest victim of what's going on in our culture right now. Nobody can talk about it. Now, we do know that many in our country feel marginalized, disenfranchised, ill-treated. We know they want to be heard. Hello. And who can blame them? But... I think of Jordan Peterson, if you know him. Jordan Peterson is not a Christian, but every time you listen to him, you say, oh, God, please save this man, because he says so many things I agree with. He wrote a book called 12 Rules for Life. Here's his ninth rule. Assume that the person you are listening to might know something you don't. That's pretty good stuff right there. In the summer of 19, as many of you know, we did a whole series on the issues of inspiration, Issues and inspiration dealing with, the, with most, not all, but most of the critical issues, including social justice, including the racial issue, including the LGBTQ, a couple of sermons on that. And as many of you know, I sat for hours and hours and hours with all of these 
opponents or call them, but they really weren't opponents to me. They were friends, individuals on the other side of the issue. I sat for multiple hours with them during these messages. And every single time with every single person, didn't matter if it was racial justice, didn't matter if it was an African-American, didn't matter if it was somebody in the LGBTQ community. As many of you know, I sat for many hours with, with individuals that I, be, I befriended. And every situation, without exception, I learned. I learned. I discovered something I didn't see before. There was a blind spot that came around. What do I know with certainty? Well, when it comes to this pandemic, not much. I know some of you seem to know. I have never heard, read, and endured such confident declaration from so many ignorant people on any given subject in all of my life. There, I now have offended all of you. So there. I'm reminded what Paul said in Timothy. He says, they want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they're talking about or what they so confidently affirm. Have you ever read that? So what do I know with certainty? I know that we're living in a time of real crisis in a lot of issues. Amen? And that our country, our church, and me, I need revival. But it's going to take some unmasking. So come with me to a time when the kingdom of Judah in 700 B.C. was facing a real life and death crisis. 2 Kings chapter 18 and the life of one of my favorite dudes in all the Bible, Hezekiah. Why you don't name your kids Hezekiah, I don't know. Maybe this will change. This sermon will do it. Who knows? In the third year of Hoshea, the son of Elah, the king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, the king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abee, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke down the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses has made. It's been around for like 800 years. They turned it into an idol. Verse 5, here's the kicker. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord, did not depart from following him, kept the commandments that the Lord had commanded Moses, and the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. Hezekiah was a great king. And he brought revival in a land that desperately needed it, in a kingdom that desperately needed it. This king is so great in the Old Testament, there are no less than 11, count them, 11 whole chapters in 2 Kings, 2 Chronicles, and Isaiah dedicated to his life. 11 chapters. And I'll be referring to all three 
as he brought revival. And this is going to be a, I'm going to summarize most of it because we would be here for four hours just to get one message in other ways. Forgive me in advance. But here's the verse I want you to look at it again. Look at it. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. That's stellar right there. He reigned during a period of real crisis. He had a personal crisis, there was a national crisis, and there was an international crisis. And so we've got all three here, don't we? Everybody here has some personal crisis, I'm sure, relative to somebody else's, but you know, yours is the worst, I'm sure. But we all have a personal crisis. We have a national crisis with the racial unrest that's going on. And we have an international crisis with the COVID-19. The year here was 701 or 701 B.C. Assyria was a world power. Babylon was a rising power. Egypt was clinging to power. And Israel was divided in power. They were no longer unified. You had the ten tribes to the north called Israel, the two tribes to the south called Judah. Judah was where Jerusalem was, Hezekiah resided, and it's the only kingdom that had any good kings to come out of it. Twenty years earlier, Samaria, that was the capital of Israel to the north, had been captured by the Assyrians, and the Assyrians assimilated Samaria. If you've been through my walkthrough, you know. Anyway, that's enough of that. But Assyria came down, they swooped down, they took those ten tribes and dispersed them amongst the many cities of their own land. That's what they would do. And now, they're at the very doorstep of Jerusalem. Now, Hezekiah was great. He was a great king. But he wasn't a perfect king. This is to encourage you. He wasn't a perfect king. He messed up several times because God never masks the characters. You ever notice that? God gives you to you. All the characters in Scripture come out with warts and everything, right? And it's no different with Hezekiah. He he had a co-regency with his wicked father Ahaz. And during that time, Ahaz was paying tribute to Assyria to keep them off off their back. So Hezekiah kept doing that. But he, he's a godly king, he's trusting the Lord, so he just quit paying him. And with that, whoom, come, okay, the Syrians come down upon Jerusalem. So Hezekiah, instead of saying, well, we trust the Lord, we trust the Lord, he compromised. And he coughed up a bunch of gold to the king, stripped the gold off the temple, and gave that to the king. Well, I have news for you, we'll come back to this. But let me tell you something. When you compromise, Satan will never be satisfied with a little in your life when he can have a lot. Don't you forget that. In a moment of weakness, he compromised. He's 39 years old in this passage. 39. And I was thinking about this. We got a lot of people in that age bracket in this church, 35 to 45. A lot of you. That's Hezekiah. And it was in the same year that he got so sick that he was dying. In fact, Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, you're sick, you're dying. Get your house in order. You're you're a dead man. And he turns his face to the wall, if you know the story. In fact, you've been doing the five-day Bible reading plan. You just read it, amen? Ah, Too bad for the rest of you. So, he weeps God. I mean, Isaiah doesn't even get out of the complex. He doesn't even get out of the, uh, out of the, the... 
the area. He's walking through the foyer, and the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, go back, tell him I'm going I'm to give him another 15. And he lives on. It's over his personal crisis. And it's always about that time when we have some kind of a victory that we get the slippage comes in. We just get into the calm waters, and suddenly we just sort of start treading. And that's what he did. And it was, you know, he was, during this time, his pride starts welling up, and some, a, a small reg, uh, contingent, of, uh, contingent of envoys from Babylon. Remember, Babylon was a rising kingdom. It wasn't really a strong kingdom at the time. They came over to spy on Israel, to spy on Judah. And Hezekiah comes in. He shows them all the treasures. He shows them all his wealth. Not a smart thing to do. And it was during that time that the Bible tells us in one of these three accounts, and I'm going to show it to you, that God, God sort of pulls back the curtain so we can, get a, we can get a little window into the heart of Hezekiah. The question is, what would happen if he did it to you? Here, here's the verse. God left Hezekiah to himself in order to test him and know all that was in his heart. Have you ever read that? He's 39. And Hezekiah is not all that he would be cut out to become. Not yet, anyway. His heart was struggling with compromise. It was struggling with self-centeredness, with pride. And God left him to himself. Look at that. What is in your heart right now? What are you masking as we speak? If God left you, if God left you, what would come out? The great turn of phrasers, Warren Risby said this, what life does to us depends on what life finds in us. Oh, yeah. I was in a workshop a few years ago at a conference in Florida, and Larry Osborne, the great pastor, author, theologian, was teaching on releasing young men into the ministry and how they were doing. I was intensely interested because that's what we do with our internships and our residencies. And so he was saying, once we've discovered that he's our guy, then we throw him in the water. This is when I started to lean in. He goes, I throw him in the water, but I always sit alongside the pool. I love that word picture. I throw him in the water, but I always sit alongside the pool, keep an eye on him, make sure they don't drown, figuratively speaking. See, God never really left because God's omnipresent, amen? God never really left Hezekiah, but he did distance himself. He was sitting alongside the pool, so to speak. And so what was in Hezekiah's heart? Remember, God left him to discover what was in his heart. What was in his heart at that time? Because after that Babylonian envoy went back to Babylon, Isaiah shows up. Hey, hey, king. Hey, hey, Isaiah. What's going on? Hey, what, who are those people that just took off out of town? Oh, they were from a kingdom called Babylon. They just came to check things out. Well, what'd you show them? Isaiah asked. Hezekiah, oh, I showed them everything. I showed them the treasures, all of our treasures. And Isaiah says, you fool. 
That very kingdom is going to come back in the future, and they're going to sack this place. They're going to defeat us. They're going to pummel us. They're going to kill us. And some of your own future family members will be taken captive by then. Remember, God had left him so as to reveal what was in his heart. You want to know what he was thinking? Would you like to know what he was thinking? Thank you. Isaiah tells us, look what he says. For the king was thinking, huh, at least there'll be peace and security in my lifetime. <laughs> yeah, that's what the Bible says. I told you it gives you warts and all. So yeah, he was hardly a perfect dude, okay? But remember, we just saw the passage and the commentary on him, the, the epitaph over his life. There was never a king before like him, before him, or after him. He was that great a guy. He had that kind of a heart for God. So how, how is it? This is where I want to put some hope because some of you are that, you're compromising, you're cowardly, you're proud. It's all about you, you're self-centered. So how do you, like, like Hezekiah, go from being a compromising, self-centered, proud, and become the greatest of all kings? And the answer is in the crisis, you experience Revival. But it's going to mean taking the mask off. Hezekiah's personal crisis gave way to a national crisis. As I said earlier, remember he kind of compromised, tried to, give, tried to appease the king of Assyria, Sennacherib. He wasn't going to have it. He's on the doorsteps. Look, listen to this because I'm summarizing this. Here is an army outside of Jerusalem. The Assyrian army is the most fearful army ever to be on the face of this earth. They were known for their diabolical things they did. You can read it. all; It's all in the annals of history. They would create such fear in a town, whole people would commit suicide rather than come into their power. They would cut people's heads off and stack heads in front of the towns. They would fillet people. That is, they would skin them alive. And now they're right outside of Jerusalem. They have pummeled some 46 cities that were like fortification buffers to Jerusalem. They'd already pummeled them. And now the only thing left is the capital itself, Jerusalem. And they start to taunt. The representatives of Assyria start to taunt Hezekiah and his representatives and yelling at the, at the Jews that are on the wall, Hey! We have defeated, and they start listing one kingdom after another kingdom. We've defeated that God and this God. And how is your God going to hold up to this? In fact, here's one verse I'll show you in Isaiah. Had the gods rescued Samaria, that was the capital of Israel, 20 years earlier, their brothers, from my hand, who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save their lands from me? How then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? Now, in the midst of all this, they're saying, just give up. We'll give you everything. In fact, look, in chapter 18, verse 31, here's what it says. Don't listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me. Come out to, to me. Then each of you will get your own vine. You'll have your own fig tree. You'll each have water from your own cistern. Until I come and take you to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. And you, you'll live, you won't die. Don't listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you, saying, The Lord will deliver us. 
Any way you slice it, Judah was in a bad place. Hezekiah was in a bad place. You can imagine Hezekiah's advisors at this time. Just give in to him. I mean, look, look at their telling us. Look at all the promises they're giving to us. Yeah, right. Look how that worked the last time. Here's my, I, just a little parenthetical thought I, I hope you'll take to heart. In fact, I'm going to put it up there for you to look at. When you compromise in your walk with Jesus, Satan will never agree with only getting a little when he can get a lot. I said it earlier. I just gave it to you. And let me tell you something while you look at that. The only thing more sad than the statement you're looking at right now is the fact that while all of you just heard it, many of you will ignore it. Because in fact, you don't believe it. You're going to be the exception. Somehow the blessings of Satan will not destroy you like they have billions of others before you. You're, the, you're going to be the exception to that rule. But if you're tired of the compromise in your own life, in your own heart, and you want more, you want more of God and less of Satan, you want more of Jesus and less of this world, then you need revival. So I want to talk about the keys to the revival for the balance of our time. Here it is. First, it must be inward. Take the mask off. It's got to be inward. It's got to be from your heart. And for some of you, you need to take the mask off of your history. The history is the anvil that's weighing you down right now. Your past, that is. Your own personal past is keeping you from walking with God. Or maybe it's the past of your family. I mean, Hezekiah had a crazy past, and it could easily have kept him down. In fact, if he had followed the trajectory that he was on, he would have been a radically, a radical hater of God. In fact, listen to this. Hezekiah's great-grandfather was a guy by the name of Uzziah. Remember him? Godly guy. Incredibly godly man. But when he got proud toward the end of his life, he went to the temple to offer up incense, the job only for the priest. And what happened? Remember? Leprosy breaks out on his forehead, and he is banned from the temple for the rest of his life. Great-grandfather. His grandfather, Jotham, was a godly guy, a good guy, a good king, but he banned himself from the temple. I mean, his dad got banned from the temple, so he just banned himself, never went. Then his dad, Ahaz, was a wicked, wicked king. And while his great-grandfather was banned, and his father banned himself, he banned everybody else. He boarded up the temple, wouldn't let anybody else get into it. That's how wicked he was. So if Hezekiah would have followed the trajectory of his family, I don't know how, how it could have been worse, but he didn't because God had changed his heart. So he flew in the face of his family, which is exactly what some of you need to do. Look inside of yourself and ask yourself, what is keeping you from radically giving yourself to Jesus Christ? Is it your parents? Is it your own personal history? Is it your marriage? Is it your family? Hezekiah was on a serious downward trajectory, but his heart was for God. In a word, revival means your heart is changed. 
And some of you desperately need a heart transplant. Your hearts are hard, they're dark, they're sinful, they're unregenerated, they're unsaved, they're lost, and you're hellbound. And only Jesus Christ can change your heart. His death and resurrection on your behalf, you need to repent of your sin, place your faith in Christ, and have your heart changed. But we're talking about revival, and revival by definition is for the Christians. So for those of you who, follow, who love Jesus, your heart needs to be changed. If indeed you have compromised and allowed the garbage in, but I'm getting ahead of myself. How's your heart right now? What are you hiding? What are you masking? Secondly, it must flow outward because anything God does inwardly is going to get out. If anyone's in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. So the inward becomes the outward. And Hezekiah understood that in order to set things right, you need to get things out. Remember? I mean, in chapter 18, that even in the Bible reading portion of this sermon in verse 4, where it says, they even destroyed the bronze serpent. Remember that? I mean, Moses was told by God to erect this bronze serpent, which basically saved the children of Israel in the wilderness some 800 years earlier. They kept it around and turned it into an idol. Even good things could become bad things, especially if you turn them into idols. Here's a question for you, though. If the temple was boarded up by Hezekiah's dad, so nobody could get in, how did it accumulate any trash? In fact, look at this, look at 2 Chronicles. Look at look at look how this puts it in 2 Chronicles. Coming up. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened up the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. This is Hezekiah. He brought to, in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites. Now consecrate yourselves and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. And then verse 16. The priests went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it. They brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord, and the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook of Kidron. That's where they burned stuff. Now here's the question again. If the temple was, all, was boarded up, how did the trash get in? Listen carefully. It's not possible to live a neutral life. If you think and your hardened heart that you can just tread water without serving Jesus. And, you know, you're not, you're not going to, you won't serve him, but you won't dishonor him either. That, you are living an illusion. Mark my words, you'll accumulate trash, and some of you, some of you already have. Maybe most of us. And it's not as hidden, it's not as masked as you think. God sure sees it, but I think a lot of people do too. Just telling you. It reminds me of when we lived, years ago, our family, when we were younger, we had, you know, like 15 kids and they were all under three. Um, you know, we, we lived right on a highway. And uh, literally thousands of cars going by by the hour. And uh, my wife, fought, uh, you know, because, you know, we were living hand to mouth, she found a great deal on trash bags. 
Only they were translucent trash bags. You could see right through them. And if you can imagine all these babies we had and all the stuff that goes into a trash bag and you're putting it out there in front of God and everybody. And let me tell you, that was, that was embarrassing to put that out on a curb while people drove by and, looked, and literally looked into our trash. Your trash is exposed before God. It's also exposed before men. And it needs to be taken out. You need to take out the trash. Revival has to be inward. It has to be outward. And finally, it must be upward. Lift up your burden to God. So back to the story. There's 185,000 troops outside of Jerusalem. 185,000. They're ready to tear apart the ramparts or whatever war of attrition. They're they're going to defeat these Jews. 185,000 Assyrians. And they continue to intimidate Hezekiah and they send him a letter. If you don't submit... If you don't submit, you're not going to be drinking wine from your own uh, uh, vineyard. You're going to be drinking your own urine. And the letter is given to Hezekiah. And what does he do? He does what we're supposed to do. The Bible says in 2 Kings 19, Hezekiah received the letter from the messengers and read it. Then he went to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. That's what you do with your burden. You give it to God, right? And Peter tells us in the New Testament, casting all your cares upon him because he what? Sure he does. He cares for you. But here's the deal. Remember Hezekiah, when, when he was confronted by Isaiah earlier and said, you know, when he said, hey, you know, you know Babylon's going to come and take your people, take your family, take them away. Well, at least it won't happen in my lifetime. That's not the same Hezekiah as here. God has changed him. He has spread this out. But if I lift my, listen to this, if I, listen, if I lift my burden to God for the glory of God and not for the glory of myself, not merely for my deliverance, what I'm going to get out of it, the benefit that comes to me, then God is honored if I'm doing it for his glory. And so Isaiah, in his rendering of this prayer of Hezekiah, has captured his heart. Look what Isaiah says. He says, now, this is Hezekiah praying, Isaiah records it. Now, Lord our God, deliver us from his hand. Watch this. So that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, Lord, are the only God. How does this work? How do we know That's happening in your life in a crisis. Let me tell you what happened just the other day. A couple of months ago, my wife and I and another couple in our church watching right in the other venue over here in the overflow, we had the joy of leading a couple to Christ. Beautiful experience, seeing them come to know Jesus. They're getting baptized tonight. A couple of weeks ago, we were invited to their home as she told us that she had cancer. 
pretty serious as well. And so my wife and I were praying, oh, God, give us wisdom. They're brand new Christians, Lord. Oh, help us. We sat down with them, and the Lord brought to my mind the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Daniel 3. Remember that story? King Nebuchadnezzar erects a giant idol. Everybody, when they strike up the band, has to bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they don't do it. They get hauled before Nebuchadnezzar. He is furious with rage. Stokes up that furnace seven times hotter. He says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm going to give you one more chance. When we strike up the band, you bow down. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and this is what I shared with this young woman and her husband. They looked at the king and they said, O king, know this. Our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from that fiery furnace. Now, that would have been cool enough, but that's not what made it cool. It was the next words that came out of their mouth. And it was the next words that would be the kind of spiritual re-rod that this woman needed. When the king said, worship when you hear the band strike up, they said, king, know this. The God whom we serve is able to deliver us from your fiery furnace. But if not, know this, O king, we will not serve your gods. I love that, as I share with this woman. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not given a promise from God that they were going to survive that. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter. It didn't matter because their love for Jesus, their love for God, <laughs> Jesus that showed up in there, amen? Their love for God was such, it didn't matter. They knew where their future was. And that's exactly what this woman would say a couple of days ago as we prayed before she went into one of her appointments. She said, that passage of scripture, you didn't just come in and say, hey, God's got this. You gave me truth. And that's what I'm clinging to. How does anybody respond like that? How, they, how does anybody handle a crisis like that? And the answer is simple. God has changed her heart as he needs to change some of yours. Hezekiah was a different man. He was a changed man, inwardly, outwardly, upwardly. And so he offers this to God for the glory of God. And the result is 185,000 people outside of Jerusalem ready to sack the place. And the scripture tells us, in the, uh, in the next chapter, then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 of the Assyrian camp. When the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. Imagine this. By the way, don't ever think one angel can't do a lot. And I know what some of you might be thinking right now. You're thinking, yeah, that's cool, but like, how's, that, how's this going to change our country? I don't know. But if it changes you, that's a pretty good start. Let's pray. So as we pray here, let me ask this question. Are you wearing a mask? And what are you hiding? What's behind that mask? God knows 
Would you be willing to, in prayer right now, just remove the mask and say, God, I, there's all this trash that I've accumulated in my heart. Just by doing nothing, I've accumulated trash. Oh, God, forgive me. I confess this sin and just name that sin, whatever it is. Whether it's vulgarity or pornography or idolatry of some other kind, covetousness, lying. And maybe just flat out laziness. It's all sin. It's all trash. And would you just say, God, I want to be revived. Take out my trash for me through your son, Jesus. And I'm talking to Christians here. Those of you who claim to know Jesus, and indeed do, I'm not suggesting you don't. Remember, Hezekiah, he struggled even as a follower of God. Some of you are too. God still loves you. He still cares for you. Doesn't love you less. Doesn't care for you less. Would you just thank him for his love and his mercy? Ask him to forgive you of your sins and renew you and revive you. Some of you need a heart change. You need a heart transplant. The grace of God has never been evident in your life. Your heart is still dark and stony and alienated from God. Would you like it to be revived? Would you like it to be made alive? Only in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, and your belief in him as Lord and Savior can cleanse you of your sins and bring you the revival you so desperately need. Oh God, give us revival inwardly, outwardly, and upwardly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.